Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Have you ever thought of what uh, we humans would do if we didn't have words? Be left to communicate with uh, grunts and hand signals, and uh, sometimes maybe they'd be misinterpreted. Uh, and so we try to straighten out that misunderstanding with uh, more noises and signals and animation to get our point across. I'm glad that we get to use words. Words have meaning. And learning grammar and learning how to put words together is an important part of our education. And, and speaking of lots of words, um, Pastor Ryan mentioned uh, there's a table in the fellowship hall there with some hymn books on it. On the other side are two boxes of books. They come from my office. I've discovered that I have so many books there, there are more words than I'm ever going to be able to read. And so I'd like to bless somebody else with some of them. Feel free to help yourself to any of those. There may be more coming in the future. Um, <clears throat> We're now in the last four verses of 2 Corinthians, and uh, in the ESV translation that is in your pew there, and I'm going to re- read from, there are only 66 words in those verses. In the original Greek, there were even less, but in both languages, those words uh, um, are loaded with meaning. And, and uh, I'd like you to look with me at that. And, and as, as Paul wraps up this very personal letter to a wounded congregation, then he really makes those last words count. And in one verse, he, he packs in five words that, that are imperative verbs. That is, they, they are things that he urges or commands the Corinthian congregation to do. And, and so look for them as, as we read here now. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word. And we'll be reading, begins verse 11 of chapter 13 in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this letter and the things we've learned in the last weeks and months as we've Uh, been reminded of another congregation and the challenges they went through. Many of them we can relate to in some way as well. And Lord, thank you that your word is still relevant to us today. And as we look at these closing words of the Apostle Paul to this congregation, uh, speak to our hearts and our congregation about our relationships with each other and with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As I mentioned, then I want to zero in on five key words. Uh, they're in verse 11 there, five imperatives that Paul gives to the congregation at Corinth at the end of this letter, and they're really the heart of the sermon today. But before I do that, we need to just stop and note who Paul says that he's talking to here. And we might um, 
have been so used to reading this word, uh, there in verse 11, um, that in other places in Scripture and so on, that we maybe didn't even notice it there. Did you notice the word brothers or, or brethren in verse 11? Now, these aren't Paul's blood brothers. So why does he call them that? It's because that's what Paul calls all believers in Jesus Christ at Corinth and in any of the congregations he visited. He considers them his family, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Gene Getz wrote a book called The Measure of a Healthy Church that I use when I teach at our schools. And uh, he emphasizes in there this intimate family relationship that we have. And he's done uh, some thorough analyzing of this. In the back of his book, then there's an appendix where he lists every time in, from Acts on in the New Testament, um, all the epistles and so on, where that word brothers or brethren is used to describe that relationship between Christians. And how many times would you guess it comes up? 211. And in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the two letters, First and Second Corinthians, he uses that term 45 times. He wanted believers to think of themselves as that, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I invite you today, look around. Look around you right here. These folks around you that also trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, not just your blood family right in the pew with you, but the others, they're your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's significant that we grasp this. It helps us to understand then these five words, these five imperatives that Paul writes to the church there at Corinth um, they're largely about how to live with each other in the family of God. And now, I have to say, I am so far from a Greek scholar that I often hesitate to even mention anything from the original language because I might mess it up. But here, I found some significance in what we look at here. And these five words here, powerful words, in the English it takes more words to explain each of those five verbs. And, and so Paul says here to these brothers and sisters in Christ whom he considers his family, he says, first of all, rejoice. And since the verb here is a present active imperative, uh, we might say, he's saying, be rejoicing. Now, now why should we, and why should they be rejoicing? It's because of who we are in Jesus Christ and, and what we have in him. There isn't a day that goes by that we are left without hope. In Jesus, each day is a day that we know his grace and his forgiveness of sin that he offers us. No matter uh, what happens in this life, he has promised us also eternal life and glory with him. We are his brothers and sisters, and that makes us then also joint heirs with him of all of the glory of heaven someday. And so each day that we live here on this earth, we can also say then, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so Paul says here, be rejoicing. And then secondly, he urges these Corinthian Christians, his brothers and sisters in Christ, be mended. Now many of the English translations might say something like this, be made complete or be restored. And I believe he's referring to the relationships with each other there in the Corinthian congregation but since this is now a present passive imperative verb, my understanding of it is that, that he is saying, receive 
restoration. Now, why did I say earlier here that second imperative means be mended? Well, because it's very interesting to me, this word used here is the same word, the same verb used in the Gospel of Mark um, to describe the fishermen, James and John, as they were mending their nets. I want you to think about what happens to a fishing net at times. It gets torn. There get to be holes in it. You can't catch fish that way. They'll get out. And that net can't do anything about that hole. And so it passively depends on someone to mend it so that it can be useful again. Sometimes we in a Christian congregation get torn apart by some things. We get good at pointing the blame at each other, but what we really need is restoration. And you might say we need Jesus to mend the tear for us. Well, Paul's saying, let that happen. Lenski described it this way, let yourselves be completely fitted out, restored, or we might say mended. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we in ourselves are completely incapable of patching things up among ourselves. And we need Jesus to do that for us, and he does so as we each humble ourselves in admission of our own faults, and we experience his forgiveness. And then he also empowers us to be willing to forgive others who have sinned against us. And so Paul says here, be mended, be receiving restoration in your relationships with each other. And that brings us to the next imperative he addresses here. In the ESV um, words that um, <clears throat> comfort one another. And certainly that's something we as Christians are to do as we go through the challenges of life. But if I'm understanding this word correctly, it has connotations of more than that. Connotations of calling out one another. And since it's a passive imperative, then that, that would mean allowing others to call us out when we're out of line in some way. And that fits very well with the situation that Paul has been dealing with there at Corinth. And we've covered it in the past weeks here, uh, how he called out some blatant sin in that congregation and challenged the congregation to deal with it and not ignore it. And thus, the third imperative might be appropriately translated, brothers and sisters, be admonished. That is, be willing to receive or accept admonition. My first call as a pastor was up to the north woods of Minnesota. I served two churches up there. One of them was just five miles out of um, North Home there, a smaller town of Mizpah. And they'd often have about 25 people there on Sunday mornings. It, it was a little town with just a little over 100 residents, and I'm not sure if that was counting dogs and cats or not. Um, the church building there, very simple, basically one room, no basement under it, and the bathroom facility was an outhouse behind it. And having a nervous bladder in those early years of preaching, there were times I had to visit that outhouse before the service. One such Sunday, I came in from the privy and I was getting ready for the service and some of the folks were there and one of the ushers came up to me and he quietly mentioned, your fly is down. <laughs> now you know, I could have denied that that was the case at that point and further embarrassed myself later. Instead, I thanked him, and no one else knew the difference until now. <laughs> now, sometimes it's clearly to our advantage 
to accept admonition or correction from others, isn't it? And there are other times that we're not so sure that they're right. And it's a bit harder to take. And yet it is valuable for us as Christians to not put ourselves up as our own authority. But be willing to let others exhort you. If they see you living hypocritically or or have some other concern about your life, allow others to share the word of God with you in such a way that you are seeking to align yourself with the truth and not living in some kind of self-deception. And in the long run, it will be for your own good and for the good of others around you if we do so. Ulysses S. Grant was a a four-star general for the Union forces during the Civil War, and and, uh, he went on to become the 18th president of the United States. Um, His friend, John Rawlins, was a fellow general and eventually became Grant's chief of staff. During the Civil War, there was no one that was closer to Grant than Rawlins. And Grant was known to have a drinking problem. And he made a pledge to Rawlins that he would abstain from intoxicating liquors during the war so that he could carry out his duties. And on one occasion when Grant broke that promise, Rawlins pleaded with him with great earnestness uh, to refrain from strong drink for his own sake and, and for the nation's great and holy cause. Grant listened to Rollins' advice, and, and as a result, he was not impaired by drinking when uh, decision-making was critical. And if you go to Washington, D.C. these days, you, there at the front of the Capitol there in D.C., there, there's this um, magnificent monument to General Grant. He's on a horse with this characteristic pose and flanked on both sides by stirring battle scenes. On the other end of the mall, in a, uh, a little south of Pennsylvania Avenue, there's a place called Rollins Park. And there, there stands just a very ordinary statue of Grant's friend, John Rollins. You know, there might be no monument to Grant had there not been a John Rollins who's willing to admonish his friend. Paul urges the folks here in the congregation at Corinth, be willing to receive admonition from each other as brothers and sisters in Christ who truly care about each other. The fourth imperative here is not a passive one, it's an active one. And he says, be like-minded. Some translations say, be of the same mind. And this is not something that happens passively, but something that we must deliberately then seek to do in a congregation as we focus our minds on what really matters and we agree on those things that are essential in our mission as Christians. And this is the same word that Paul uses at the end of the letter to Philippians. And there he is addressing a couple of Christian ladies and he's telling them, get along with each other. He says to them, live in harmony in the Lord. And again, it's only as we remember that in the Lord we're brothers and sisters in Christ that we'll be determined to then get along. You know that saying, you can choose your friends but you can't choose your relatives, right? Well, that's true in the family of God as well. These folks around you who believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, they're your brothers and sisters whether you like them or not. 
Whether you agree with them about politics or tastes in food or music or style of dress or whatever. And so Paul says to them, be of the same mind with each other. And I can't help but think of some other verses in Philippians where Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And then he goes on to talk about how we are to be servants and follow the example of Christ. The fifth imperative for us brothers and sisters in Christ here is, is this. He says, be peaceable. And the dictionary says that means not contentious or quarrelsome. Live in peace. Be actively pursuing peace with each other. But that does not mean to be silent and just let people run over you and manipulate you and still say nothing so that you keep peace at all costs. Remember, we've just got done going over the need for us to be willing to be admonished when we're out of line. So that means that we also have to be willing to at times confront someone for the good of all involved. But our goal is still that there would be peace among us as a result. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ here today, be rejoicing together in who we are and what we have in Christ. Be mended in your relationships with each other that has allowed Jesus to work that restoration in hearts and in relationships. Be admonished, that is to be willing to allow others to point out when you get out of line. Be like-minded, focusing on things that really matter in the work of the kingdom of God and, and ready to compromise on the things that are really secondary. And then be peaceable, not looking for things to nitpick each other about. Those are Paul's closing imperative words to this congregation that was less than perfect, a congregation that was full of sinners who were justified in Christ, but yet definitely not yet fully sanctified. Do you know any other congregations like that? Then these five key words are applicable for us here at Maranatha as well. There are a couple other verses left here, a couple other things worth note, noting there in those closing verses of 2 Corinthians. Uh, verse 12 says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Ryan is laughing over there. He's wondering how I'm going to deal with this. This is a Middle Eastern and Far Eastern custom, practiced still in some cultures. And, and, and it's really a, a quick kiss to the brow or the cheek as a sign of friendship and honor. We uh, Scandinavians aren't so used to that pattern with anybody except blood relatives, and maybe not even then. Um, I think the equivalent in our culture is more like uh, what we do at the beginning of our service here, that hearty handshake. Now, if any of you, as a result of reading this verse, want to start giving each other a kiss here today, then I, my only advice is make sure it's a holy one. <laughs> Enough said on that. Now, did you also notice in verse 13, the term for Christians that Paul uses there. He says, all of the saints greet you. Literally, all of the holy ones greet you. And Paul is referring to other believers in Jesus Christ from his missionary travels that are sending their greetings back because, you see, saints is not a term to be reserved just for a select few that the Catholic Church designates as somehow extra holy. No, it is what we are all considered to be. 
In God's sight, we who are believers in Jesus Christ stand clean, holy ones. And then Paul concludes his letter with a short benediction here that's also loaded with, with three powerful Greek words, and you may have heard these before, they're more familiar, charis, agape, and koinonia. That benediction says, first of all, then, grace, or charis, that, that's unmerited favor, that's, that's getting far better than we deserve, the free gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is because of his grace. Love, that's that term agape, love, unconditional love, love no matter what, sacrificial love. It's the love of the Father, so great that he was willing to send his Son to be our Savior. And fellowship, or koinonia, that's that close, personal relationship that we have with God as the Holy Spirit of Jesus comes to live within us, and he then binds us together in, with one another in kindred spirit. That that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that love of God the Father and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with who? He says, be with you all, church there at Corinth. Or as they say in Texas, y'all. And Paul means all. All who are in Christ. They're at Corinth. And that same grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit is ours in Christ today, if we know him. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we thank you for this, your word, for this letter that we've spent much time in, for the things that you've taught us from it, Lord. And you remind us here in the end of it of the importance of seeing our relationship with each other as, as, uh, as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ who care about each other, and, Lord, we thank you that together we have something to rejoice in. We thank you that you help us, that we would be mended in our relationships, that we would be willing to be admonished, that we would be like-minded in the things that really matter, and that we would be peaceable in our relationship with each other in order that you would be glorified among us and that others would be drawn into that fellowship that we have. And we thank you for that. And we pray that that would be the case for each of us and for this congregation. Amen.